Welcome to another episode of Sustainability Changemakers. On this episode, we speak with Justine Aldersey-Williams. She is the founder of the Northwest England Fiber Shed. This is a undertaking of the century. She is trying to decentralize the regenerative textile system by using local fibers, local dyes, and local labor. Um, she is literally a woman growing her own jeans. So please listen in and enjoy. Okay, hello. Welcome to another episode of Sustainability Changemakers. We're here with Justine. Justine is going to tell us all about her different projects from the Northwest English Fiber Shed to the Homegrown Homespun Project. But I'm just going to start it off by asking Justine to tell us about how you got your start in sustainability and fashion, where this like passion came from. Okay. I actually don't think I'm involved in sustainability or fashion. Oh, I love that. It's a bit of purple straight away. We build a regenerative clothing system in the UK, but I see a world of difference between sustainable fashion and regenerative clothing. And, you know, it might sound pedantic, but I think we really do need to question a language. We're all, you know, we've just become really accustomed to it, haven't we? And for me, sustain means to kind of keep things as they are. It implies business as usual. What can we continue to get away with while making minimum change? Our planetary ecosystem is already beyond a point of sustainability. It needs urgently regenerating. So, yeah, we, we've actually, actually got to actively give back more than we're taking now, not just sustain what we're doing. And in terms of the word fashion, I did study fashion, but I learned enough about it. By the time I was about 21 to mm. personally, I boycotted it because I saw it as an instrument of oppression against women. And my opinion hasn't changed that much since, I'm afraid. I think it's actually got worse with the advent of fast fashion. Clothing, on the other hand, is a beautiful, you know, could be a beautiful self-expression. It's a basic human need. I think it's got the potential to bring us back into a kind of rich diversity of creativity when we come back into balance with our natural environment which is abundant so yeah I make that distinction early on and <laughs> yeah I don't really think no. I'm kind of involved in sustainability or fashion yes I'm grateful that you said that now it's helpful to reframe and to see how you see what you're doing and where so would you say that this this passion came from like your study of it and seeing what it what it really meant and then it spurred your decision to, you know, work against it? Or where were some of the inspiration for, for this journey for you? I mean, I read Naomi Wolf, The Beauty Myth, when I was about 12, mm. while I was studying fashion. And it's sort of just, and I was kind of in that sort of London scene. And yeah, I, I mm -hmm. saw the true colors pretty early on. Um, mm. I sort of made a move towards textiles and I was going to become a, a textiles teacher mm -hmm. and met my husband during my teacher training qualification was pregnant, secretly pregnant on graduation day. And I just took a kind of natural evolution in my career. I ended up teaching yoga for a really long time and it's actually the yoga that's put me well that. took me away from fashion but also put me back on my path of my creativity and I returned to study an MA about 10 years ago and got involved in um, updating my textiles so you know digital everything's been digitized digital service pattern design 
But because of all the yoga I'd done, I didn't want to be sitting hunched at a computer all day. That was quite stultifying. And I wanted to get mm-hmm. like, hands dirty practice. All the kind of awareness of the environmental crisis was gathering pace at that time. And I got into natural fabric dyeing mm-hmm. at that point. I think, you know, I started Northwest England Fibre Shed, I think really because of my daughter, you know, when she got to be about a teenager in the sixth form, she got very educated on the social and environmental injustice mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. And she came to me and said, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to have children. I don't think it's a responsible thing to do. And, you know, that was a, a real stab in the heart to me. And I just thought to myself, you know, there's no pressure for her to have children. That, that's just her decision. But that decision shouldn't be some ecocidal oligarchs. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the thought that my unbroken ancestry is going to be, is going to end due to circumstances beyond her control, just deeply infuriated and motivated me. And, you know, people often ask me, because this project I'm involved in is a bit of a, a passion project and a bit of a mission. They ask me why I'm so passionate. It is that reason. It's it cuts very mm-hmm. deep for me. This so I felt like you know I was doing natural dyeing. It's like Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you do better. And where are my natural dyes mm-hmm. coming from? Where are my fabrics coming from? It was good. It was better. But you know you can always continue that process. And I became aware of Rebecca Burgess's work, who's another natural dyer who started found Fiber Shed in California. And yeah, yeah, I just think I came to a point where I thought I've got to actually do something here and, and, and found one myself. Yeah, it sounds like it was, it was just made, it was made like a very pressing issue. You know, I think sometimes it's easy for people to ignore it. Like, oh, this is later or it's not, it's not really, it's not happening to me right now. But I see, I, it sounds like you took it upon yourself. Like, no, this is, this is happening now. It's affecting us now. Yeah, yes, I mean, I, like... I made a decision to sort of, I wasn't expecting to get pregnant in all mm-hmm. honesty, but I made mm-hmm. a decision to to prioritize motherhood. And mm-hmm. I fitted, you know, I was a yoga teacher, I was over at a wedding station, I did all these kind of little bit part jobs so that I could mm-hmm. be there for my kids and really, you know, be there to pick up and drop off. And so then to reach a point where you're like, you know, that all the love I've kind of invested in those kids to have them reach a point in their life where they, they're deciding whether they can have children or not. It's like, yeah, that was a big, yeah, a big motivating yeah. factor. Yeah. Yeah. And could you, since you, since you brought up the, the English, the Northwest English Fiber Shed, could you tell us a bit about that project and the original goal with it and where it is right now? Yeah, I think things have been kind of gathering pace. And I finally founded Northwest England Fiber Shed in March 2020, just as COVID started. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just think that whole intensity kind of propelled everything forward. And, mm-hmm. and I have to mention my friend at this point, Patrick Grant, he's a clothing manufacturer in this country and he's quite well known advocate for sustainable fashion, as we would call it then. And yeah, I think, you know, we started our companies at a similar sort of time and have sort of watched each other's work. And I don't really think he's quite high profile in this country. So I don't think I would have thrown myself into this voluntary role like three years in. 
without his influence and inspiration. And I sort of very early on, very naively asked him to co-found flagship with me. He's incredibly busy. Um, but he did agree to a collaboration. It started in about August 2020. And it was really because I, you know, my MA work, I'd been doing narrative hand embroidery with natural dyes and mending and upcycling clothing, teaching people to extend the life of their clothing with natural dyes rather than buying new. And so I was kind of trying to trace the provenance of my embroidery thread, trying to get British embroidery thread doesn't exist. You know, <laughs> there are no vast fibers, so you can't get, you know, cotton or linen embroidery thread grown in this country. It doesn't happen. And we've offshored wow. our industry. That was where this project began. I, I sort of, I said to him, he said to me, what do you want to do with this fiber shed then? What do you want to be hoping to achieve? I said, well, I just want to help get natural fibers and dyes growing in the country again and create some kind of infrastructure that will make that a viable alternative crop for farmers so that this can, you know, become reshored. My idea was to just, you know, maybe do a little project, make a little denim mending kit, like just make some indigo linen thread. He kind of threw down the gauntlet to make jeans and that follows, you know, I'd sent in Rebecca Burgess's book, which shows her Grow Your Jeans project. She did, I think, in about 2015. Yeah, so we kind of entered this collaboration with an arts commissioning organization called Super Slow Way in mm -hmm. Northwest England, which, you know, in this country, it's the heartland of the textile industry with a checkered history. You know, there's this onshoring and offshoring. There's people who've migrated and then been left kind of economically deprived with the offshoring of the industry here. So quite pertinent and, and poignant to base projects in Blackburn in particular. And yeah, we started a project called Homegrown Homespun, where we are growing indigo linen jeans in this wow. country and that started our first growing season was 2021 last year was our second growing season we've got all our crops wow. we we kind of know what's going to happen the culmination is this october there have been some compromises along the way inevitably because we're in this transitory period globally so they're going to be two different outcomes for our project, actually. Patrick will, with his social enterprise community clothing, he'll be producing a line of homegrown indigo linen jeans. Won't have been processed oh. here. So, you know, in terms yeah, of fibre sheds, we are working towards agroecologically grown or regeneratively grown natural fibers and dyes with the processing done in the region so we couldn't get the processing done in the uk yet i think it is on its way so yeah so we we hope to process in this country we've he's had to process offshore but things are moving there, there is progress here it's just we have a deadline of this october there's other little gray areas for example he grew the crop that is actually going to be used with a farmer in Southern England who uses a small amount of glyphosate. So, you know, there's a question there, well, that definitely can't be considered regenerative, but again, there's an incremental benefit to not shipping cotton all around the planet to having linen grown right here and a tiny percentage of glyphosate, perhaps, I don't know if that's open for debate. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. 
I may be a little bit puritanical on that and a little bit unrealistic. You know, for our farmers, 99% of them in this country do farm using what could be deemed ecocidal inputs, Mm -hmm. herbicides, Mm -hmm. pesticides, fertilizers. Only 1% are are growing organically or regeneratively. So, you know, as part of the transition, it's the same in America as well, as part of this transition, there is an argument for helping farmers begin the process. Yes, just Mm -hmm. please start growing textiles again. That's great because that helps us divest from fossil fuel fibers and dyes for one from global transportation for two so yeah but because you know because there was that compromise there I was quite keen to see what I could do without any compromise sticking to five ship principles and that meant me making my own pair of jeans yeah <laughs> because actually yeah. you know what is possible it's actually very very difficult the larger you are as an organization to be ethical and sustainable but as an individual you can be because 99 percent of our ancestors were they just grew clothing from resources in their own region themselves that's they were empowered with those skills sounds completely alien to us in this economy that we're currently in but it's really not when you place it in the context of human history so yeah yeah come october what i hope is that patrick's gonna have his homegrown jeans and that's what a a, a company can do i'm gonna have my homegrown homespun jeans if i can fulfill this challenge which is an incredible feat Mm -hmm. i keep joking to everyone it might not be jeans it might just be a little pair of holy hot pants and that's gonna be embarrassing if i and um, one definitely wouldn't model them in that case. I don't want to traumatize anybody. <laughs> but yeah, there's no guarantees. I, I, I'm, I've only just learned to spin. I'm not a weaver. Um, I will have yeah. help. And it's kind of nice, actually, because it will be representing a very niche few people who are able to do these things in the country. Like I know a handful of people and they're all helping. So yes perhaps be be wearing them come october but it it really represents this i think a burgeoning movement of people who are just boycotting the current system Mm -hmm. divesting from as much harm as they can right now and just growing their own not just i mean clothing is a bit more rare isn't it but you know food even they're just doing what they can do right now that's what interests me yes wow Wow, that was, I love it. That was so detailed. And I like that you highlighted, yeah, I like both ways, like the one with some com- like some compromises and then not compromising. And then the fact that you have a deadline and just see what happens and that it can be done. It definitely makes me think about how there's like a lot of things about our life that we used to do and then we outsource now. And yeah, and it's like, well, if, if we all, had to make our own clothing and it took this long then we wouldn't have as much either <laughs> we would just make as we need what you just said was that it kind of it connects people to the reality of human skill planetary resources i'll show you my jeans in their current state oh <gasps> wow oh my this goodness this is them this there is 
this is the, this is, I just took this off the bobbin like an hour ago. It's taken me about a week and wow. it's about a tenth of what I need. So I've got about six, seven more weeks of hand spinning. Wow. Yeah, it smells great. This is my homegrown linen that I grew on my allotment. It's mixed in with Malin linen, which is a lovely story as well that the the Irish have a long tradition of a linen industry and they're reviving that and Malin have grown this organically in Northern Ireland. So it's all British grown, but it is a, mm. it's a blend of the two. What, you said it smells good. What does it smell like? <laughs> I suppose if you, have you ever smelled Hessian? Like no, but I'm going to look it up now. Of... Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like a kind of sackcloth sort of smell. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Good. Lovely. <laughs> green. Green and earthy. And this is yeah. the prototype piece of cloth. It's actually with the light oh. on it. A little bit transparent, but. That's. Yes. Wow. Indigo linen denim. Wow. Yeah. It's got an incredible Fabulous. luster to it. Like the back. It's kind of yeah. shiny. It's got a sheen. It's yeah. It's it's really beautiful. Wow. I mean, it does not look like your standardized piece of denim. And for me, that's the point. And actually, yeah. with the light, it's not as transparent as it seemed. With the kind of light going down, it's quite quite yeah. solid feeling, but a yeah. lovely drape. And it's you know, kind of light. Yeah. So it's I like that beautiful. And yeah, it is not that perfect standardized factory produce everything the same. It is full of imperfection. It's full of the story. It's full of the mm -hmm. struggle, <laughs> you know, because that mm -hmm. was a struggle. That was supposed to be a prototype pair of jeans. If that had worked, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. It's because we didn't get that full pair of jeans for our first mm -hmm. deadline in 2021. Because, you know, however brilliant the weavers were, not many people are used to weaving with a hand-spun warp and mm. that posed all kinds of issues. <laughs> it's a little bit daunting for me knowing how, how hard the professionals found it that I'm just, you know, wow. going to be doing this at some point this year. But we've done wow. a few things and we have more time. We did that in six weeks. We, we harvested our crop and we had mm -hmm. six weeks until the exhibition. So I have wow. had more of a... Yeah, leisurely time. Wow. Yeah. So, so this, this kind of feeds into and the home, homegrown, homespun or homegrown, homespun project. So, is that is that basically what fills your day? If you're making these streams, right? Well, now? yeah. I mean, my part of it is one of the outcomes, and I kind of call. I'm, I've got a little hashtag that it's woman grows jeans. So. It, it's kind of a little spin-off, a little separate aspect of it. But yeah, my days are filled with spinning. And I've got a few little props to show you. This is, my knuckles are just in pieces because this is my oh. blending board. Wow. And this is my, this is the fiber that I've grown. This is some of the mm -hmm. Irish linen. So I will just be like, you know, blending that together. Wow. Trying not to blend my knuckles into the process and often failing and then yeah wow. you take I take that and I'm just sitting at a spinning wheel like spinning and a lot wow. of spinning a lot of spinning going on right now <laughs> now thank you for thank you for showing that actually I you know I think a lot of us like I've seen industrial blending 
machines and industrial spinning. But I, yeah, I can't say, I can't say that I've like seen somebody do it all by hand. That's fascinating. Yeah, wow. I'm documenting the process. I, I got a little bit of funding <laughs> from Arts Council England over here to to fulfill this aspect of the project. And I, I know I am documenting it under that hashtag, hashtag woman grows jeans. So yeah, like today's is, here's my latest button. <laughs> you know, bumping full of fiber. And it's nice and sort of, I know, well, I, I might do this a couple more times, but it's not something I'm going to do forever. And it, mm-hmm. kind of this sense of, my God, I've done three of these, you know, these things and I need 10 and you know mm-hmm. I'm facing six seven weeks of sitting and spinning and but that for me is the crucial part it's like I keep saying to everyone it's, it's like strong karate kid vibes over here it's very wax off wax off <laughs> I'm undergoing an initiation mm-hmm. and it's so important I don't think anybody should be designing or making clothing without initiation into the reality of where fibers and dyes come from Mm -hmm. how much time and effort and skill is involved in transforming them into something usable and the reality of the value of those planetary materials it's like you referenced before you know if you've grown something yourself and you've sat for a hundred hours making it you don't throw that away that's precious that's lifelong that's heirloom that's going down the generations it has an intrinsic value of your time and love infused within it that's the kind of revaluing of planetary resources and human labor that we really need yes yeah that that's like the bow right there honestly i'm so glad you said it like that because yes if not like watching the process or doing the process you realize the number of hours that go into it yeah I think just wow I I mean I'm grateful for even this conversation and the things that you showed because we so rarely see like we can see the cotton all fluffy and cute and then we see the jeans and we don't see these in-between steps yeah Yeah. so people will say you know well we're never going to make any money out of that and I'm just like well my ancestors didn't sit around having a board meeting about the financial viability of making the shirt. They made <laughs> a shirt. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. locked into this very tiny period of human history where we've become quite brainwashed by an ecocidal economy. And we mm-hmm. have to think beyond that. And, and actually what I'm doing is, it's really a provocation. It's to, it's to ask these questions about, you know, disparity of wealth as well you know if you want a pair of these jeans i'll make you a pair of these jeans if you treat me as your equal so you know let's let's have the the richest men in the world if you want these jeans pay me your hourly rate and i'll mm-hmm. do great things with the money i'll set up a regenerative textile system with that with that that money mm-hmm. so it's that question it's that sort of provocation that i'm i'm hoping you know we'll we'll discuss this october when it comes to the kind of final exhibition yes and you're you're responding to i'm glad you brought it up like you won't make money with this i'm i'm glad that you're responding to that because yeah oftentimes we've like confused the goal here like is the goal is the money going to save the planet in the end like the money itself probably no so yeah, actually realigning the goals of what you're doing to, it's not just the bottom line, 
but rather like the earth that we're talking about. Yeah, it's um, it's making, you know, it, it's making an important point, I think. Yeah, I mean, fiber sheds are trying to find this sweet spot of appropriate consumption and production. And, and, you know, like I say, we need to remember our ancestral context and what I'm doing by this economic standard seems insane, but it's not, like you say, it's not, in, it's not motivated by financial profit. Yet what I'm doing is not accelerating societal or environmental collapse. So, mm-hmm. you know, I ask mm-hmm. you, who is really insane here? Mm-hmm. And I see an increasing number of, you know, maverick creatives just boycotting the system and empowering themselves with these sorts of skills. Yeah. Yeah. I just so, think we have to just not be reliant upon the people who are doing the most harm and mm-hmm. challenge, even if it's only as a kind of one-off statement. I think the amount of people who've been engaged throughout the Homegrown Homespun project and the amount of awareness we've raised, it has changed things in the industry. It's like once, you know, it's down to Rebecca's and Fibershed's principles as well. Once that genie is out of the bottle, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Mm. It's really valuable from that point of view. Yes. And yes. And what would you say your hopes are for the rest of the, I know you said you're in the regenerative clothing space, but then what are your hopes for the fashion industry and the greater context in which you're, you're trying to redefine? I think all non-essential use of fossil fuels should be banned immediately. Now, I I say that, you know, I've got to caveat that because I know wonderful people in the synthetic dye industry, they, and the fashion industry, everyone believes they have good intentions, but we have been told by the UN that we are facing societal collapse at a global scale by 2030, I think the date is. So really, you know, the the hour is very late and I think we need to make some urgent changes. So it's hard for me to, mm-hmm. as a natural dyer to say it because even natural dyeing, you know, colored clothing is not is not necessary. It's not a human need. Mm-hmm. But I do think, you know, I do have a lot of faith in in nature actually as well. And mm-hmm. I, I see a really beautiful future for the clothing industry. Mm-hmm. And we have to regenerate the planet if we want mm-hmm. a, livable pl- a livable planet for the human species. So, you know, imagine it. Imagine that I think the UK has lost something like 40, 50% of its biodiversity since the Second World War. We don't even know what mm. we've lost, my generation. But imagine mm. double the abundance and beauty there is now. That, that's a really lovely future to look mm-hmm. forward to. Imagine people using, you know, materials that have helped regenerate the planet. Imagine wearing something that doesn't carry the provenance of suffering. Imagine wearing something mm-hmm. that you think, wow, this has really helped. This is this has drawn mm-hmm. carbon out of the atmosphere. It's put it back into the depleted soils. It's it's enhanced mm-hmm. biodiversity. You know, mm-hmm. wearing something like that would be a talisman. It would be a real feel-good factor, wouldn't it? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel really privileged yeah. to be a part of a moment in history where we can make a positive contribution and it does really matter. Mm-hmm. 
And I think, yeah, I mean, part of what I'm doing at the moment, I run, I'm running a, an online sort of process for people called Growing Slow Textiles. And because it is themed around regenerative agriculture, you know, we look a lot into what that means deeply. You know, it originates with indigenous wisdom. We look at, well, what does that mean for people in a colonialist country like this? So we go quite deep into what indigenous practice might be, what living in harmony with our plant and animal allies might look like. And that's been what a really rewarding part of this process as well is that you know, there's only so much you can do within a community project where you're meeting two hours a week. So this is a chance for me yeah. to really go deeply with people and, and take it a second year. I've run it. We, we go from seed to cloth in nine months. And wow. yeah, this weekend we've got a plant spirit medicine practitioner and a, and a, a herbalist coming to join us. And we're going to journey. Wow. We're going to journey with Flax and Woad and really go deep into, yeah, communion. I, I don't mm -hmm. kind of, I'm not going to, I'm not even feeling like that's an alternative thing to say anymore, whereas I might have kind of gone, oh, you know, it might sound a little bit new age. No, there's nothing alternative <laughs> that, there's nothing alternative about <laughs> wanting to save the planet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Wow. No, I love that. I think that's a good place to, a good note to leave our audience with and to see all the ways that you are engaging with helping the planet from your home and with your business ideas. So thank you so much for chatting with us. Um, I'm very excited to see what happens in October and like the finish. It's I'm, I'm going to go follow your journey. <laughs> please, just like all the good vibes, just all your wishes, everything, prayers, incantations yes. and whatever. <laughs> I'm going to need that because it's not an easy, it's not an easy task ahead of me. No, no, it's not. We believe you can do it. And yes, we'll be checking in on your journey. Thank you. Thank you. So and if I do, Jamie, I don't think it's been done. I don't think, I don't think anyone's grown their own genes in this country, certainly for at least a hundred years. <laughs> wow. That, that's quite the, yeah, that'll be quite the accomplishment either way. I can't wait. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Before you go, I just want to thank you for listening and engaging with the platform. Please share the podcast, rate us, or write a review on wherever you choose to listen. This is really helpful to spread the word about denim, fashion, and our sustainability efforts. If you want to stay in touch, please reach out via our social media channels or visit our website to download Denim Purvey's yearly sustainability report or our monthly newsletter so you can stay informed on the denim industry's sustainability efforts. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.